Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here for Wednesday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. As most of you know, last week we launched our in-depth study of St. Paul the Apostle on LogosBibleStudy.com. It was a strong launch, and every Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, I'll be having Zoom meetings with people from the class where we can talk about the lessons, where we can ask questions and get to know each other. Now, during COVID times, no live classes anywhere, but this is how we'll handle it. I remember my old Marine Corps gunnery sergeant Spence saying, adapt, improvise, overcome. And that's exactly what we're doing. If you haven't signed up, please do. It's not too late. And uh, it will be great to have you with us and see you face to face on Zoom. So back we go. We're picking up today right where we left off on Monday with Paul, Barnabas, and young Mark on the way to Iconium. They left Pisidian Antioch, having been kicked out of town, and shook the dust from their feet and went on down the road eastward to Iconium. And we read in chapter 14 of Acts. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. That will always be Paul's first stop. That's where he has entree, at the synagogue. He is a well-known person from Jerusalem, trained by the great Gamaliel. So he's welcoming any synagogue he wanted to go to, at least in the early days. And there in the synagogue, they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews, who refused to believe, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Again, as we'll see, everywhere Paul goes, trouble breaks out. Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there in Iconium, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Importantly, no person can perform a miracle. Only God can perform a miracle, and if God chooses to do so through you, it suggests you have a very intimate relationship with God. And the greater the miracle, the more implied intimacy. So, Paul and Barnabas were able to perform miracles. God, through them, performing the miracles. Now, the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. And there was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and got out of Dodge. They fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. So before they could get hold of Paul and Barnabas, drag them outside of town and stone them, they left. They continued on, eastward and a bit south, to Lystra. Now in Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth. He had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk around. Well, 
When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form because no person can perform a miracle. Only God can. The gods have come down in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus. And Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. I love that. If you look at paintings of Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas looks like Zeus, regal looking with a big curly beard. And Paul they called Hermes because he was the talker. Sure enough, look, go on Google, look at Lystra and Paul, and you'll see the paintings. Well, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and reeds to the city gates because he and the crowd were going to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes. They rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We're only, we're only men like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn away from these worthless things and to the living God who made the heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet, he has not left himself without testimony. He has showed kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. But even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. But then, some Jews from Antioch and Iconium arrived, and they won the crowd over. Notice that. Paul, Barnabas, and Mark leave Pisidian Antioch and Iconium, and the opponents follow them. Oh, they, they might get out of town, but they're not getting away from us. They win the crowd over. They took hold of Paul, dragged him outside the city, and stoned him. Stoned him. They're not throwing little golf ball-sized pebbles. They're throwing big rocks until they thought he was dead. So Paul is in a ditch on the side of the road, covered with big rocks, bleeding everywhere, not moving. Good, riddance to him. They thought he was dead. They leave. The disciples came rushing out and they found Paul lying in the ditch. They gathered around him. And then he began, his eyes flickered open. He, he began to stir and push the rocks off him. They got rocks off him and... He got up, dusted himself off. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They continued leaving town. Well, yeah, if you were stoned in Leicester, you'd leave too. That's a good quiz question, by the way. Was Paul ever stoned? Well, not that kind of stoned. Yes, he was stoned in Leicester. So, the next day they left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city. They won a large number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So they just returned by the way they came, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. 
We must go through many hardships in order to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Antalya on the coast. From there, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there in AD 48, they gathered the church together and reported in all the good news, all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So that door is opening really wide and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So back home, back home in Antioch, and the mission, the first missionary journey, 46 to 48, they start in the synagogue, they get thrown out of the synagogue, they move on. Gentiles are becoming believers in large numbers. Not so many Jews, but Gentiles. And that raises a very difficult issue. When Cornelius and his family became believers, the very first Gentile believers, and Peter went back and told the church in Jerusalem, well, some said, that's all right, I guess. But clearly, if a Gentile becomes a follower of the Jewish Messiah, he must adopt all the precepts of the Mosaic law. How can you be a follower of the Jewish Messiah and not obey the Mosaic law given from God's lips to Moses to you? And Jesus is the culmination of that message. So obviously, any Gentile coming into the church would have to observe the Mosaic law. And that raises a real issue. Because for a Jew, circumcision for males, is a key element of belief. Circumcision is to a Jew what baptism is to a Christian. It incorporates the person into the covenant community. So, of course, that would have to occur. Now, if you attend one of my classes and I'm teaching this material, and at the end, I say to you, anyone here, an altar call, right? Anyone here who would like to become a believer, when I end class, form a line, and I'll be doing circumcisions up here. How many people do you think I'd get? Well, not very many. So that's a big issue. And it was up for debate because half the church believed that Gentile believers should follow the Mosaic law, another half didn't. They have to come to a conclusion. So we have the very first ecumenical council. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch, from Jerusalem, the mother church, 2,500 feet above sea level, down to the Via Maris on the coast and north to Antioch. And they were teaching the brothers. 
Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Obviously. Well, this didn't go over that well at Antioch because we had a lot of Gentile believers already. So if you want to be saved, line up after my talk. We'll be doing circumcisions up front here. Well, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. This is a serious issue, and we need to make a decision on how we're going to handle this as a church. So the church in Antioch sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they're traveling south, they told how the Gentiles had been converted, and the news made all the brothers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then, some of the believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, This is all well and good. We are happy to have Gentiles become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thrilled! Thrilled! But the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Well, the apostles and elders met to consider the question. And after a whole lot of discussion, everyone had their say. Peter stood up and he addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. He's referring to Cornelius and his family. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? Why would you want to insist that these new Gentile believers observe the entire Mosaic law? We couldn't do it. Nobody can do it. So why would you put that on them? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. It has nothing to do with the Mosaic Law. Well, the whole assembly was shocked. This is Peter, the leader of the apostles. The whole assembly became silent. And then they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So Barnabas stood up and he spoke, and Paul stood up and he spoke. And when they finished, a decision had to be made. When they finished, James, the brother of the Lord, not the apostle James, but James, the brother of the Lord. Now, we've talked about the brothers of the Lord on previous podcasts. 
there are only three possibilities. The brothers of the Lord, if you're Roman Catholic and believe that Mary remained a virgin for the rest of her life, then the brothers of the Lord are the young men in the extended family of Mary and Joseph. Cousins, if you will, as St. Jerome postulated. If you're an Orthodox Christian, you believe that Mary remained a virgin for the rest of her life, but the brothers of the Lord are the sons of Joseph by his deceased wife, and hence Jesus' half-brothers. If you're Protestant, for the most part, you believe that Mary was a virgin when she conceived Jesus, but she then went on to have a normal married life, and these were Jesus' blood brothers by Mary and Joseph. They're the only three possibilities, the only three. But this James is the brother of the Lord, one of the intimate family members. And James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem, not Peter. James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He will make the final decision. When everyone finished speaking, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon, that is Peter, has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. We all heard the story about Cornelius and his family directly from Peter. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord, and all Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages upon ages. So James concludes, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Other, instead, we should write to them, telling them four things, to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Four things. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, except for four things. <laughs> Abstaining from food polluted by idols, sexual immorality, meat of strangled animals, and blood. No, these are four things that are so antithetical to Jewish belief and custom. Jews keep kosher. Jews don't do those things. And it's so embedded in Jewish culture that you need to respect those beliefs. So why cause trouble within the church by flagrantly doing these things? Food polluted by idols. The Roman Empire was a polytheistic empire. There were many gods in the Roman Empire. And, frankly, you had complete freedom of religion in the Roman Empire. You could worship any god you wanted. The Jews were free to worship their god in Jerusalem. 
The Greeks were free to worship their gods in Athens. The Romans worshiped their gods. The Egyptians worshiped their gods. What you couldn't do is use the worship of your god to foment civil unrest. That was an issue with the church. But you had to respect those gods. And part of the worship of those gods was offering sacrifice. Just like the five great sacrifices in Leviticus. The burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering. Four of which are animal sacrifices. And you would have to choose the best animal, the best bull, lamb, or goat to offer. So what happened to the meat after that? After the meat was offered? Well, some was burnt up in the burnt offering, but the fellowship offering, the meat was shared and eaten. So imagine if you're a newly formed Gentile Christian. And at the church social, they have wonderful steaks. Ooh, really good. Marbled, cooked just right on the grill. And you say, boy, they're good. Where did, where did you get the steaks? Well, from the, uh, from the temple butcher shop. Because the meat that wasn't burnt up or consumed was sold. And it was the best meat. And if you had... If you were a Jew and you had scruples about this, you're, you're not going to eat non-kosher food in any case. But this is meat that was offered to a, a pagan god. I, I just don't feel right about this. So instead of doing that, just avoid doing it. It would be an insult to the Jewish believers. Same thing with sexual immorality, the meat of strangled animals, and blood. In the Mosaic Law, you do not eat blood. Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest of times. So, defer to your Jewish believing brothers. Just don't do these things that are so culturally and religiously antithetical to who they are. You can't have a community made up of half Jews and half Gentiles who are all believers and offend each other in this way. It makes a lot of sense. Barnabas, I think of Barnabas as the, you know, the rock-solid guy giving a rock-solid judgment. Well, James does a pretty good thing here. So we have to tell all the people about it. The apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. So Barsabbas and Silas will go along. And with them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. That is, that you must be circumcised, you must observe the Mosaic Law. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, 
men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was stoned. Therefore, we're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from eating any blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You do well to avoid these things because it would do nothing but divide the community. Farewell. So the men were sent off. They went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together. They delivered the letter. The people read it and they were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, Judas and Silas, Judas also called Barsabbas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. So the issue has been resolved at the council in Jerusalem in AD 50. The letter is written, it's distributed out to the communities, and everybody gave a hearty aye aye, sir, and that's the way it went. You know better than that. You can't, you can't get people to agree on anything in a church. There were, it, it was a point of contention for the rest of, that, of the first century. And we'll see that as we continue in the story of St. Paul. So thank you for being here. We'll be back again on Friday. We'll pick up where we left off. That first missionary journey. I don't know there were that many converts, but there were important converts, important ones. And after a while, being back in Antioch, Paul said, you know, we should hit the road again. Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers where we went before. And that's what they plan to do. And we'll have that tale on Friday. Thank you guys for being with me. Blessings to you. Bye-bye now.